Righteous woman coming at you with truth bombs for days. That's me, your host Stacy, back again for some wild and weird happenings. Talking conspiracy truths and conspiracy theories. In a state of aggravated non-compliance and wondering where the real punk rockers are because they have all become government pawns and scared of their own shadow. Leave it to the naked lady with a knife to come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Well, Stacy Socials was fucking weird as fuck, like it normally is. Let's start with uh, People.com, this article about this Belgian woman, Addie Timmermans. She's been banned from meeting a chimpanzee at the Antwerp Zoo in Belgium. She developed a close bond with the primate over many years. The chimpanzee's name is Cheetah. He arrived at the Antwerp Zoo, or Antwerp Zoo, I'm not sure how they pronounce it. He arrived 30 years ago, but over the past four years, Addie has been visiting the primate every week, and they developed a really close bond. She says, quote, I love that animal, and he loves me. I haven't gotten any, I haven't got anything else. Why do they want to take that away? We're having an affair, I'll just say. So obviously they ran with that, that she said that. So I highly doubt they're having like a legitimate romantic affair, but they they have formulated a bond and that's why this is just so sad. So this affair, they're calling it, involved this chimpanzee and the woman waving and blowing kisses back and forth on opposite sides of the glass. And the zoo recently expressed concern about their relationship, claiming it negatively impacts cheetah's rapport with the other zoo's chimps. They say that an animal that is too focused on people is less respected by its peers, and we want Cheetah to be a chimpanzee as much as possible. Antwerp Zoo noticed that her Cheetah's fascination with humans has been present because he was a pet before joining the facility, and the zoo has now banned Addy from contacting Cheetah at all to prioritize his well-being. And it just breaks my heart, but I, I do understand the reason why they would want to stop it because you don't want him to be being bullied by the other chimps and you want him to be able to form bonding relationships with his fellow chimps. But at the same time, she is accusing the zoo of being unfair, saying other dozens of visitors are allowed to make contact with him. Why not me? Zookeepers now are working towards helping Cheetah learn to interact more with his fellow primates. I'm not sure how to feel about that. I just think it's really sad. And we all know from that story back in the day where that lady's chimp, she was medicating him with something. We may have even talked about this on the show. She was medicating him with some kind of drug because he started acting up and he literally flipped out and like ripped her face off. And this other man that was with her killed him. I think ripped his penis off. Like it just got ugly. So nobody really wants to mess with chimps at all because they're going to rip your fucking face off literally. But it's pretty endearing that she she has a bond with this chimp and they love to see each other. Next is this fucker who's on the album cover for Nirvana's Nevermind album. I'm sure everybody's heard about this. His name's Spencer Eldon. He was the naked baby used for the album artwork of their 1991 album. He's accusing the band of violating federal child pornography statutes and is suing the surviving members and the estate of Kurt Cobain. Other defendants listed in the lawsuit are the photographer Kirk Weddle and the labels behind the album, DGC Records, Warner Records, and MCA Records, and Universal Music Group. He is alleging commercial child sexual exploitation. 
He argues that he has suffered lifelong damages, permanent emotional distress, loss of income, and psychological harm. The lawsuit says that Spencer's true identity and legal name are forever tied to the commercial sexual exploitation he experienced as a minor, which has been distributed and sold worldwide from the time he was a baby to the, from the time he was a baby to present day. Eldon and his parents never signed a release authorizing the use of his image or likeness, and he's never received any compensation for the use of his image. Despite recreating the image multiple times, Eldon told GQ Australia in a 2016 interview that his feelings about the album artwork had changed. So this kid, throughout his life, recreated this picture. And there you can see him online. It's pretty crazy. He says that he's been recently thinking, well, what if I wasn't okay with my frickin' penis being shown to everybody? I really didn't have a choice. Well, he's got a point about that, but I really don't believe that it's child sexual exploitation to see a, a picture of a naked baby floating in a pool. But honestly, they should have been compensated for using that, especially how much money they made on that album and continue to make off of that album. So maybe a fair settlement might be okay. But I think he's going a little bit far pulling this huge, you know, I'm a victim bullshit and accusing these people of doing things that I, I personally do not think that they've done. Next is really sad story out of Montana. The missing hiker, Tatum Morrell, she has been recovered. And it's really weird. Very, very uh, Dave Poletti's missing 411. They say that the rescuers recovered the body of Tatum Morrell. She was found by climbers on Saturday, August 21st. 23-year-old Montana State University graduate from Idaho. She hiked out on the West Fork Trailhead about 14 miles west of Red Lodge on the afternoon of Thursday, July 1st. Two Bear Air helicopters and the Yellowstone County Sheriff's Office helicopter worked with them and the Carbon County Sheriff's Office to recover her body from the rugged mountains. Rescuers believe that Tatum was climbing Whitetail Peak when she caught a significant rock slide and was fatally injured. The area where she was located had been searched numerous times by rescue crews. That's the weird part. They had been through this area. They'd never found her. They said that she was mostly buried under rocks and she was extremely difficult to find. Rescue efforts included cell phone and in-reach pings information searches on her personal accounts, mountain rescue teams, search dog teams, ground search teams, and visual infrared, reco and cell phone tracking aerial searches. Okay, they were all over the place. If she was partially buried by rocks, why didn't the dogs find her? How come they didn't get the pings from her? She was carrying a tracking device. Why didn't they find her then? Very strange. Another thing that's really strange is the search area contained countless rock fields, car-sized boulders, scree fields, snow fields, and some areas requ required technical experience and advanced backcountry knowledge. She was an experienced hiker. Why would she try to climb a, a cliff face that had loose rock? She wasn't a stupid person. She typically, you know, typically experienced hikers are not going to put themselves in danger while they're out hiking alone like that. So this is very, very strange and definitely something that we should revisit another time. I do believe that Can-Am Missing Project did do a video on this. I haven't seen it yet. I think I'm gonna need to look into that, but there are some profile points that are present here in this tragic story that match the Can-Am Missing Project profile points. So it's interesting. 
Next is this ridiculous Florida couple. They used fake vaccine cards for themselves and their kids in an attempt to travel to Hawaii. Hawaiian authorities said they busted another pair who tried to travel to Aloha State. Other people have been doing this. And they're using fake vaccine cards. This is the second incident to occur in the last couple of weeks. These are misdemeanor offenses. I thought they were felonies. Maybe it's a felony to create them or to acquire them, but to use them, it's a misdemeanor offense. Prosecutors say the Miami Beach couple tried to use these cards for themselves and their two kids, which are too young to be vaccinated, and that's probably what tipped them off. The guy's name is Enzo Dalmazo, 43, and Daniela Dalmazo, 31. They are being charged for intentionally or knowingly presenting falsified documents verifying their vaccination status. Daniela faces two additional misdemeanor charges for allegedly using fake vaccine cards for her children age four and five. You'd think that she would have done a little bit of research. They probably would have got through <laughs> had she not done it with the kids because they say this is what tipped off Honolulu authorities. The court records say that the couple bonded out of jail. If convicted, they face a fine and up to a year behind bars. The Safe Travels program was implemented through emergency proclamation by Governor David Ige, and individuals traveling from the U.S. and U.S. territories must be fully vaccinated or present a negative COVID-19 test to avoid a 10-day quarantine. The comments on this article were hateful and fucking awful. People are awful. Honestly, people, stand up for your rights. If you, if you desire not to get this, stand up for your rights. Don't don't go try to use counterfeit documents, please. Just fucking don't. Because that's just, not only are you breaking the law, but you're bending over and you're taking it deep. So don't. Stand up. Don't go, what do you need to go to fucking Hawaii for? Anyways, I'd really like to go to Hawaii, but I'm sure as hell never going to visit the islands if they're going to expect me to do something that I don't want to do. Next, Alabama doctor pledges to stop treating unvaccinated patients. I do, you know, quick side note, there has been a walkout at a hospital recently. Lots of doctors, nurses, and medical health professionals walked out and are, are saying, no, we cannot not treat people because of this. This is ridiculous, forcing people to get an experimental injection that doesn't even fucking work and could be dangerous, and then telling them you can't treat them or denying them an organ transplant. I know this, this is happening to people. They are being denied They've been on the transplant list for well over a year, if not longer, and now they're telling them that they better be vaccinated or else they're, they're being knocked off the transplant list? No fucking way. Anyways, this scumbag, Dr. Jason Valentine, he's a physician at the Diagnostic and Medical Clinic Infirmary Health in Mobile. He recently posted a photo on his Facebook showing him next to a sign that says, Effective October 1st, Dr. Valentine will no longer see patients that are not vaccinated against COVID-19. NBC News has not verified the authenticity of the post because it's now private. Valentine nor representatives of the clinic where he works could be reached for comment. And the letter stated, according to the newspaper, quote, Therefore, as of October 1st, 2021, <laughs> I will no longer see patients that have not been vaccinated against COVID-19. If you wish to keep me as your physician, documentation of your vaccination will suffice. If you wish to choose another physician, we will be happy to transfer your records. 
The Facebook post in late July, Dr. Brittany Cobia pleaded with skeptics to get vaccinated because she was tired of seeing young unvaccinated patients pay the ultimate price. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey, a Republican, blamed the unvaccinated for the state's rise in coronavirus infection rates. Alabama's vaccination rate, which is about 36% as of Friday, is among the lowest in the country. I don't blame the people, okay? Lots of African Americans are not getting the vaccination because they don't trust it, and they have every right in the world to do so. This woman, Kay Ivey, governor, seems like a real dick. She says folks are supposed to have common sense. And this was in response to a question about what it's going to take for people to get it. And she said, it's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down. Fuck you. Fuck you, lady. That's all I have to say. What a load of crap and load of nonsense. And shame on you. You violated your Hippocratic oath. And I just... Uh, There's nothing more to say, but fuck you. I just, I have nothing else to say. Let's move on. The plastic barriers. They made everybody buy that, you know, plastic crap to make, you know, sneeze guards and barriers. Well, now they're saying in a town hall article that the New York Times reported that scientists who study aerosols, airflow, and ventilation say that much of the time these barriers don't help and they give people a false sense of security. And sometimes they make them worse. Hmm, kind of reminds me of the masks. Doesn't it remind you of the masks? It does me. They say, under normal conditions in stores, classrooms, and offices, exhaled breath particles disperse, carried by air currents, and depending on the ventilation system, are replaced by fresh air every 15 to 30 minutes. But erecting plastic barriers can change the airflow in a room, disrupt normal ventilation, and create dead zones where viral aerosol particles can build up and become highly concentrated. Well, fucking duh, if you enclose yourself in a little plastic bubble, it's it's nonsensical. I don't even know what to say about that. A study published in June and led by researchers from John Hopkins, which I don't really trust, but it says that desk screens in classrooms were associated with an increased risk of infection. A Massachusetts school district, they found that plexiglass dividers with sidewalls in the main office were impeding airflow. A study in school, on schools in Georgia found that desk barriers had little effect on the spread compared with ventilation improvements. Before the pandemic, a study published in 2014 found that office cubicle dividers were among the factors that would have contributed to disease transmission during a tuberculosis outbreak in Australia. British researchers conducted modeling studies simulating what happens when a person on one side of the barrier like a customer in a store, exhales particles while speaking or coughing under various ventilation conditions. They say that the screen is more effective when a person coughs because larger particles have greater momentum and they hit the barrier. But when a person is speaking or just breathing, the screen doesn't trap these exhaled particles, which just float around it, I guess. So while the store clerk may avoid an immediate and direct hit, particles are still in the room chilling out, posing a risk. So in theory, at least these plastic dividers that have become this trademark of society's fear of these invisible particles, they don't always protect people and they can even make the situation worse. So be mindful and disinfect your surfaces, people. Wash your hands and don't go places when you're fucking sick. I think that anybody's parents should teach their kids 
Next is this crazy article about an Australian broadcaster. They accidentally aired a clip of a satanic meeting during its nightly news broadcast. Viewers got an unexpected glimpse of the religious ceremonies of a satanic group in Queensland. This clip was broadcast during the nightly news and was aired by Australian Broadcasting Corporation. It starts with a segment on a police dog showing suit-clad men standing outside of a building. Then it cuts to this visual of three people wearing black, standing beside an altar, brightly lit, upside-down cross. Hail Satan, they say real loudly, and then the clip cuts out, and it's bizarre. It's not known how the clip of the ritual made its way into the segment. ABC TV did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The footage might have come from a Facebook video of the Noosa Temple of Satan, a satanic group based in Queensland. And the same clip is seen at the eight-minute mark of the group's live stream from October 30th. Who did that? I'm wondering, was it a prank? I guess the Noosa Temple, which is composed of self-described Satanists, they've recently made the news. He, it's led by the founder, Robin Bristow, who's better known by the name Brother Samuel Demogorgon. <laughs> and the group is pushing for the government to allow Satanists to teach religious classes in school. Woo! Yeah, that's that's the good thing about the separation of church and state. We don't need any of that. None of that in our schools. Okay, the next thing are a couple comments that I noticed. And people are all over social media sharing their experience. And I wanted to share one. They're going to remain nameless. But okay, this is in response. I don't even know what it's in response to, but just listen up. She says, am I wrong? Where is your evidence? I am my own evidence. I'm fully vaccinated, COVID positive, and spread it to my children and family. I and several other vaccinated people that I know are positive right now. You want my vaccine card, my test results? Don't tell me I'm wrong because I'm in no way am I against vaccine. Actually, I'm very pro-vaccine, but the information you all are spreading is not the truth. And you want to know what else? They didn't even want to test me, though. I was in very close contact with a positive COVID. Same with four other vaccinated people I know of. I don't lie. You don't know me, and it's okay not to trust me, but in fact, I'm not wrong. I know the facts. I've also firsthand watched COVID take the lives of many. But I became a nurse to be unbiased and truthful to my community and my patients. Another person comments, I agree. I had my brother at the ER last week. I've never seen it so full. It was crazy. When did we get back? When we did get back and they were getting ready to admit him, his nurse told, the, told me the hospital was full because of COVID. I told her we were good because me and my brother had the shot. She told me half of them did too, so I guess the shots are not working. The next one is a post. It was a sad, sad post, picture of an older fella, and it says, This is our dad. We lost him in January unexpectedly, 24 hours after he received the M shot. He was healthy, no medical problems. No one cared to investigate. I begged and pleaded with the coroner's office, and they did not care. He died at home, so they refused to do an autopsy and put their best guess on his death certificate. This has been devastating for our family. My point is not to tell you to get the shot. I think it's wonderful that you may have found an option that works for your family and your personal health history. This is not black or white, nor Republican or Democrat. My point is this, just because someone else does not want to get it does not make them dumb, ignorant or, ignorant, or a conspiracy theorist. It should be everyone's personal choice, and no one should be forced 
Almost 13,000 Americans have died from side effects from the shot, and no one seems to care enough to look into it. Media is silent. These people mattered. My dad mattered. My doctor has advised me against getting it. And what happened to my dad, and also, I've already been positive. Does that mean I shouldn't be allowed to go travel, go to restaurants, or lose my job? Everyone's story is different and unique and should be respected. America can do better than this. Hashtag protect your family. Hashtag real, not rare. Hashtag not rare. I'm hearing over and over again about people going in to the hospital with problems after getting the shot. And them telling the people, I've never had problems before. I'm totally healthy. This is because I got the shot. I want you to write that down in my chart. And they tell them flat out, no, they will not write that down. What is going on? Next is a big tech is at it again. Twitter censored a video from a Wisconsin Republican senator's Ron Johnson's Monday press conference that depicts a mother discussing her daughter's adverse reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine. Maddie DeGuerre, a 12-year-old girl from Cincinnati, Ohio, was hospitalized several times after receiving her second dose of the Pfizer vaccine. She participated in a clinical trial from December 2020 to January 2021. Maddie's mother, Stephanie, discussed what happened to her after she was vaccinated. She says, quote, On January 20th, Maddie received her second dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine as a participant of the clinical trial for 12 to 15-year-olds. All three of our kids volunteered and were excited to participate in the trial as a way to help us all return to normal life. My husband works in the medical field, and I have a degree in electrical engineering. We are pro-vaccine and pro-science, and this is why we agreed to let Maddie and her two older brothers volunteer for the trial. She had painful electrical shocks down her neck and spine that forced her to walk hunched over. She had extreme pain in her fingers and toes and actually made them turn white, and they were cold wherever you touched them. She, she comes forward to tell people what has happened to her daughter, and her daughter's in bad shape. And Twitter blocked people from engaging with this post. A note under the video says, This tweet is misleading. Find out why health officials consider COVID-19 vaccines safe for most people. The link directs to a page that says, Scientists and public health experts say that vaccines are safe for most people. Senator Johnson told the Federalist that this is another example of big tech censoring the truth. He says, Big Tech continues to arrogantly suppress the free exchange of medical information and lives have been lost as a result. And a Twitter spokesman declined to comment. Not surprised. This is exactly why, if you don't want it, don't take it. This is lack of informed consent. And if anybody's okay with this, you need, need to sit down and do some real reflection because that's not okay. Next is a story about a man who lived off the grid for 27 years and society was just like, nope, you're not allowed. His name's David Linstone. Known as River Dave, he had been living in a cabin in the town of Canterbury for 27 years and he was jailed on July 15th under the order of Merrimack Superior Court for refusing to leave the property. He was on someone else's private land. He agreed in court to collect his possessions, including his cats and chickens, and vacate his makeshift home had burned down in a blaze that was likely started accidentally by someone attempting to dismantle the cabin. I bet it was intentional. He said, I don't see how I can go back to being a hermit because society is not going to allow it. I would have people coming every weekend, so I just can't get out of society anymore. I've hidden too many years. I've built relationships, and those relationships have continued to expand. 
Locals in New Hampshire have started a GoFundMe to help him secure a piece of land that he can call home. They raised over $12,000 at the time of this article. He said, maybe the things I've been trying to avoid are the things I really needed in life. I grew up never being hugged or kissed or any close contact. Somebody asked him once about his wife. They asked him, do you really love her? And the questions shocked him. He said, I've never loved anybody in my life. And I shocked myself because I hadn't realized that. And that's why I was a hermit. Now I can see love being expressed that I had never had had before. The private property where Lidstone had his cabin had been owned by the same family since 1963. He claimed that family member told him he could stay there. The current owner, 86-year-old Leonard, Leonard Giles, wanted him to leave since he discovered him living there in 2015. This property dispute dates back to 2016. Lidstone previously said in court on August 4th that there was no bad blood between him and Giles. He said... He's a heck of a nice old man. I've talked with him a couple of times. This is not his fault. This is not my fault. It's the lying, cheating, corrupt judges like you that are stepping on little people like me. There's some real truth for you. You know, granted, he was squatting on somebody's property. They wanted him out. They probably shouldn't have burnt down his cabin. But I understand. I understand both sides. You know, and that's where we need to come from is a place of compassion and a place of understanding. So I'm glad that the community is coming together to help this old man find a safe and good place where he can live out the rest of his days with all of his chickens and cats. The last story we're going to talk about in Stacy's socials is the one I promised that I would talk to you about last week. It's the story about that um, surf instructor out of California who killed his two kids with a spear fishing gun and a wooden stake. This is a fucked up story. So trigger warning for people that can't handle child murder. Um, It's not good. So Sunday, August 8th, Abby, who's the mom, reported to the police that Matthew, the dad, and the two kids were missing. She said they had been gone for more than 24 hours and she was worried. Investigators discovered that Matthew had taken the kids to Mexico without the mom's consent. That's when the FBI got involved. Police said in a statement on August 8th, 2021, the Santa Barbara Police Department took three missing persons reports from the mom who indicated her husband and children had been missing for approximately 24 hours. Mother was concerned for the well-being of her husband and the kids. During the investigation, Santa Barbara police obtained evidence that the father and the two children had traveled to Mexico. Santa Barbara police had been working directly with the FBI and the U.S. Border Patrol regarding this investigation. Because this investigation potentially involved the jurisdiction of another country the FBI is leading, Abby was able to track Matthew's phone and discovered they were in Rosarita. Authorities kept tracking his phone and saw that he was near the San Cedro port of entry at the U.S.-Mexico border on Monday, August 9th. FBI sent officers to intercept him as he re-entered the U.S. They discovered that the children were not with him. FBI agents contacted law enforcement officials in Rosarito and learned that Mexican authorities that morning had recovered the bodies of two little babies matching the description of the children, Kaleo and Roxy. CCTV footage of Matthew in Mexico has been released. He could be seen checking into the City Express Hotel in Rosarito with the children. He's also seen leaving with them on Monday at 2.54 a.m. He returns to the hotel alone later that on Monday. It's believed that after he left the hotel, he took the two children to a farm nearby where he brutally murdered them, 
Roxy was 10 months old and stabbed 12 times with a wooden stake. Kaleo, three years old, was stabbed 17 times with the same weapon. Hiram Sanchez, the region's attorney general, said the blood-stained wooden stake was found near the bodies. When Matthew was arrested, he told the police that he used a spear fishing gun to kill the kids, and he moved the spear around in their bodies. He told investigators he believed his children were going to th grow into monsters, so he had to kill them. He said he was enlightened by QAnon and Illuminati conspiracy theories and was receiving visions and signs revealing that his wife possessed serpent DNA and passed it on to the kids. He told federal investigators he was saving the world from monsters. He knew it was wrong, but it was the only way, the only course of action that would save the world. He said he didn't have a car seat. He put his youngest child in a box. The morning he killed his kids, he drove to Rancho de Cielo, Rancho del Cielo and pulled off to the side of the road. He said when his son didn't die right away, he had to move the spear around, thereby cutting his hand in the process. He had injuries consistent with his statement on his hand. After the murders, he moved their bodies about 30 yards away and put, put them in brush. And then he drove a couple of miles and discarded the spear fishing gun and blood clo bloody clothes near a creek. He th the FBI said that he threw the bloody clothes into a blue trash bin somewhere on the side of the road in Tijuana. A jailer asked him why he had a Band-Aid, and he responded with, quote, It was from hurting his children. According to the FBI, the murder weapon, bloody clothes, and a baby blanket were recovered by the Mexican police. The FBI said photos from the crime scene showed the children were with, had large puncture wounds in their chest, and the, according to the court documents, the kids were found in a ditch. Matthew allegedly took photos on his phone of the kids after their deaths. And the images match the ones from the investigators. The newest, so this is a couple weeks ago, the newest article I could find was by MSN. And it's really how they spin it. It says, it's titled, Matthew Coleman's wife wants to meet with him and get answers about the children. It's titled, you know, his wife wants to meet with him and get answers. So this is all they got, basically. And it says that um, family friend tells People Magazine that Abby's devastated, of course. That she's confused, stunned, and destroyed inside. She had no idea that he thought all these things. And she thinks he snapped. And something must have happened to his brain. This is what she said. According to the charging documents, he told police he was motivated by the QAnon conspiracy theory which holds the false belief that former President Donald Trump has secretly been battling a cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles at the highest levels of political power and influence. He's being held in protective custody in an undisclosed federal prison. He has not entered a plea. This is weird, okay? If he hasn't entered a plea yet, he would be in a jail. Why would he be in a federal prison? That's not really how that goes. They say that while the case progresses, people close to him, including his wife, want to know what happened. She hopes to be able to ask him for answers to face face to face someday, says the friend. But for now, she's just grieving. We all are. It's an absolute nightmare. Fuck yeah, it is an absolute nightmare. Because what the hell happened? They looked happy. If you go on their social media accounts, there's a beautiful couple, beautiful children. They had a life that people dream of. Just, um... Just two beautiful people with two beautiful kids. And it's just so heartbreaking. She says 
that something must have happened to his brain and he must have snapped. If he was into all of this conspiracy theory stuff, he probably would have talked about it a lot. But there's nobody's come forward to say that, oh, he was talking about, you know, serpent DNA or worried about the cabal or any of that stuff, right? None of that. I have some fucking questions. For one, why are they pushing this QAnon thing? I mean, they're focusing more on that than they are the fact that he murdered his two kids. We've talked about MK Ultra here before. Did and targeted individuals. What if he was targeted and manipulated to do this so they can, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's far-fetched and it's almost offensive to say it, but what if he is innocent? What if he was made to do this so they would have this awful story to convince people that people are dangerous and that they could snap at any moment? Next is the CCT CCTV footage of him and the kids. Both of the kids' faces are blurred, which is, I mean, reasonable, even though they've passed on. Typically, they blur the faces of minors. Not typically after they've passed on, unless you guys have some input about that, that that's not true. But why is his face blurred in the surveillance footage? Why would they blur his face? It makes no sense to me. And where is his mugshot? When Chris Watts was killed his family, he was his mugshot was released right away. We knew exactly where he was. We saw his mugshot. We have not once seen a mugshot for Matthew Coleman. The next thing is, why is he in a federal prison? They don't go to prison until they've been sentenced. They're usually held in some other facility like a a jail you know maybe maybe i'm wrong but my experience is that people typically do not go to the federal prison without first being sentenced next there's been you know i've i looked on the facebook of these people and looked at the comments because everybody of course is trying to give their condolences or just like mind boggled as to how this could have happened On several Facebook posts, there have been Mexican residents crying out that he's innocent. Why would these people get on there and say he's innocent? That's weird, isn't it? How is he innocent if he confessed to it? Why are people so adamantly saying that he did not do this or he didn't do it intentionally or of his own free will? Why are these people claiming he didn't do it? So remember the targeted individual stuff again? The mind control the taunting, the harassment, and they, they seem to be really concerned with this Q thing. I mean, they've they've done all kinds of exposés on this Q and QAnon believers and MAGA people and all that stuff, right? Why is this such a big thing? They want, you know, they want people to think that QAnon people are dangerous. And the next thing is the reptilian thing, the, the serpent DNA thing. That's not a part of the QAnon culture. Where did the fuck did that come from? I mean, if it is, I don't know about it, you know, and I know a little bit about this stuff, but I've never heard anything about reptilians being involved. This makes zero sense, and that's why I hesitated to talk about this, because I think that everything that we're being told is a bunch of bullshit. It's the worst thing ever. I feel so, so much for this mom and those little babies that lost their lives And I feel for the father, too, because he seemed to have really loved his family. None of this makes any sense. Typically, family annihilators, like Chris Watts, 
They kill the whole family. They don't just take off with the kids for no reason at all and kill the kids unless there's a reason or some history of mental illness. If you guys have any kind of input as far as what the fuck is going on with the story, please send me send me a, a letter. Let me know what the hell you think because my mind is blown on this one. Time for the accountability segment. I really don't have anything to say about... I think I've been doing a pretty damn good job with the podcast, so I don't really have too much to apologize for. I guess one thing would be, I hope I didn't offend people sharing about how I compared the student conflicts at my school. Um, different groups rumbled, like the, the movie The Outsiders or Warriors. I had a black friend, a really close friend, and as soon as we hit eighth grade, she joined up with new friends and was like get away from me, white bitch, you know? So in terms to it being like a prison yard, it was very much that way. I quickly adjusted to my new friend group and realized quickly the social strata was not based on good grades, athletic achievements, or even who wore the best clothes. It was based on who can fight and shit talk with the best of them. The party in began and the skating rink was full of gangs and drugs. I quickly found out who to score from and who I could use with. And the friends I had early in my school career quickly disassociated with me, and I found myself surrounded by the skaters, the punkers, the skinheads, racist and non-racist, um, and basically all the white gangs. I managed to ruin my reputation so badly, I went to independent study, homeschooling, starting my 10th grade, sophomore year. And this meant I didn't get the full high school experience. Lots of regrets there. I went to no proms, no homecomings, did zero sports in high school, and managed to completely screw up everything that resembled a normal teenage life. I did excel in my independent study because I'm, I'm super smart. And uh, I got my driver's license. That was pretty normal. I started beauty school right out of high school. Actually, like right before I graduated high school. And while doing all this, I had brought home a boyfriend that would have been every parent's worst nightmare. Stay tuned for next week to hear more. Time for business. Yep, it's business time. We got to do this every episode because you guys need to know where to find me. It's only natural for me to want to promote my social medias. So find me at inwardsurvival.com. Join the mailing list so I can always contact you in case they decide to deplatform me. Go to the Fringe with Benefits Facebook page. Go like that. And then find Inward Survival's Facebook page for some more, you know, positive, high vibrational stuff. Facebook fan page is at Stacy Leo Sorio. Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. Fringe with Benefits does have a Patreon. Go be a patron if you'd like. Not the B, I am Golden underscore Valkyrie. My Instagram is Golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. Rumble and Bitshoot, same name, no underscore. YouTube is at Golden Valkyrification. I am Stacy McCauley at MeWe. I am on Parlay, Gab, and Mines. Golden Valkyrie, go subscribe to the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel. That's where it's at. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review. Share the show, but be mindful of the disclaimer. The disclaimer. I'm not for everybody, and some may be offended by my opinion and chosen content, so be mindful of that always. Go visit the Fringe with Benefits Anchor homepage linked below and click the Support the Show button. Thank you again to all of our subscribers. I appreciate it. If you support the show, you are supporting Inward Survival. 
and we are set to do big things and do great things in this world. Send me your mail. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. This week I got a good one for you. From the Hawking Sentinel, Ohio, July 29th, 1897. Search for the wild man. A primitive being, half covered with matted hair, wild-eyed, demoniacal in appearance, has been frightening men, women, and children in Euclid Township, a few miles east of Cleveland, Ohio. The wild man approached the house of Charles Hazen in Euclid. Several women screamed, and the wild man was put to flight by farmers. Again, he appeared to be the same in the same vicinity, and a posse of a hundred citizens armed with guns, rakes, pitchforks, and clubs set out to round up the wild man. The man fled to a dense wood north of town. Search will be continued. Here's another one. The Atlanta Constitution, July 30th, 1897. Wild woman causes terror, pursues pedestrians on the outskirts of Huntsville, Alabama. It says Negroes at the Decatur are in a state of terror because of the antics of what is supposed to be a wild hairy woman who prowls around the outskirts of the town at night. Several nocturnal pedestrians have been scared almost to death by the thing. A white man named James Garrett came upon the thing near the Decatur gas house late at night and was chased several hundred yards by it. Garrett lost a hat and shoe and said that his neck had been lacerated by the fingernails of the pursuer. Frank Noli, another white man, I don't know why they got to do that. And I'm glad that they don't write articles like this anymore because I don't like the word Negro. I think it's awful. Um, and, and it's like white man giving him more credibility or something. But that's the way people thought in the 1890s. I mean, I think that the black man had just gotten the right to vote very right around this time. The civil rights movement ha- hadn't even started. And this is Alabama. So I guess that's, you know, look at where we are. Anyways, Garrett lost a hat and a shoe and that his neck had been cut. Frank Noli and claims that he was pursued until he fell from exhaustion. So why weren't they killed? Others have had experiences equally as thrilling and as such stories have influenced many to stay home at night. Men are interested and will organize a hunting party for investigation. Interesting. This is an excerpt of an article from Bigfoot Wildmen and Giants, archived articles. From 1680 to 1923 by Dave Paletti's awesome book. Go check it out. Send me your scary stories or your experiences right now. Are you about to lose your job because of the because of the thing? Are you experiencing turmoil? Are you are you emotionally charged because what's going on? Them masking our kids in school? I really don't think anybody's gonna be listening to this for very long unless you agree with what I've been touting for a fucking year now. Anyways, the Sasquatch is real, and there's some serious injustice going on right now, and I know you guys have things to tell me, so I'm waiting to hear all about it. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. When choosing a weekly topic, I have to consider, like, is this useful, or is this just kind of dumb or ridiculous? <laughs> We're going to see this week. We are going to look at some secret programs by our own government and the world's government. The world's military industrial stage. So we hear about these secret space programs, deep state, CIA, military, industrial culture, 
elitism of the highest order, and that is the elitism of information, the occult, the hidden knowledge. They protect their special interests and protect their hoard of secrets. We've heard of the Project Ice Worm, Operation Mockingbird, the Strategic Defense Initiative. Have you heard of that one? There's even this thing in, called a Project Twinkle they did in December 1949. They secretly studied these balls of light and then just explained it to be some kind of natural phenomenon and still keep those secrets. Project Blue Book. There's even this thing, I don't know if when they release this information if they're trolling us, but I absolutely do believe that they have been creating miniature drones that could mimic. Well, we do know that they have drones that are wasps and they mimic the natural behavior of that animal. Well, supposedly they had this thing called Insectocopter, which was like a dragonfly with a camera, and that they said they abandoned the project because it didn't do well in the crosswinds. Well, maybe they've overcome that. And then they also said that they attached recording equipment to pigeons, but it was too heavy for them, so they abandoned that. There's Operation Northwoods, which was developed by the U.S. Department of Defense, and proposed committing a series of terrorist attacks on the American people, which could then be blamed on Cuba. In 1962, the U.S. was looking for a reason to invade Cuba, and it was being run by communist Fidel Castro. Everybody remembers this. They thought that the best way to get people behind a war was to drum up sympathy and make people hungry for vengeance. And we've seen this several times. So they basically presented a false flag operation to the then president, John F. Kennedy. And he said no. And remember his famous speech where he warns us of the military industrial complex. Documents related to this project were made available in 1997 And there's a series of secret research programs to investigate the viability of using people with psychic powers. It's gone under the work of programs named Gondola Wish, Grill Flame, and Sunstreak. This is all remote viewing. I'm sure there's probably a ton more. And really, word on the street is the CIA uses crime and a dash of taxpayer money to fund these projects. The one we're really going to focus on this week is Project Looking Glass because I don't know very much about this and I want to learn more. And it's interesting because it involves time travel. So according to The Monkey and the Elf, Dan Burrish was born in California in 1964. He studied microbiology and psychology at the University of Las Vegas, Nevada. He earned his PhD in microbiology and he received an unexpected visit to the University of Las Vegas from the so-called secret government of the U.S. Two of these men in military uniforms offered Dan to work in the highest level project. In 1987, he began working at the Nevada State Government Office, and in 1889, he began receiving tissue samples. He examined them elsewhere and sent the report back to a place of origin. In 1989, he worked on a secret project and also on the so-called Sharp Storm. But in 1994, he was taken to an underground place called Century 4, which is a part of Area 51. This is where he started working on Project Aquarium. And he learned that the military was in the possession of spaceships and extraterrestrial beings. On one department, there was information about these beings called the Orions and alien beings of the Zeta Reticula star system. 
Dan Burrish learned of a copy of the agreement made by President Eisenhower with two races, including the alien life forms called P-50 and the so-called Orion and or Orion and races. This was in a place called the Bay of Galileo. He could, um, Burrish could see different types of spacecrafts. One of these aircraft was in the, sh- was the ship that Bob Lazar talked about. And another ship was the one that crashed in Roswell. Colonel Philip J. Corso, he wrote a book called The Day After Roswell. And those who led the hull that fell in Roswell had two brains, one which was useful for controlling the aircraft. He declared that the alien ship was key to technological progress. Eisenhower supposedly had met with several extraterrestrial groups that warned that we must abandon the atomic weapons to avoid a nuclear holocaust. There were diplomatic discussions between civilizations that took place at this meeting, and an agreement was approved to not abduct human beings. Orion ET races have given President Eisenhower a cube about 8 centimeters wide by another 8 centimeters long, capable of predicting the future. It has been passed between rich and powerful to be able to choose well in their lives. Burrish worked directly under the orders of Majestic 12. One of the most important statements is related to stargates or dimensional portals. According to Dr. Burrish, information on how to build the stargates is in the Sumerian tablets and that they use to communicate with other extraplanetary civilizations. Through these stargates, you could access wormholes, therefore parallel dimensions, or in a spatial coordinate different from ours. Dan describes a stargate in Area 51, saying that next to this huge apparatus, there was a platform that allowed to throw an object into the wormhole to travel to other stars, teleporting people or materials from one place or to the other instantly. This device is known as looking glass and was used to see the probability of future events. Cool. Burrish declares many wars in the East and other catastrophes would have happened because of these stargates. According to the doctor, there are 50 stargates on Earth, although the stargates have apparently been dismantled. Linked below, there's videos if you want to see that. Exopolitics.org, I have no idea who these people are, but I wanted to see what people were saying about this. And they are talking about Q, coincidentally. And there was a brief reference to Project Looking Glass in one of his posts, or their posts. And what it was, it was November 2019. There was a Twitter link, and it said, Project Looking Glass going forward in order to look back. Q. The Twitter link was a a tweet to Clark Petronov, who claimed that what he first thought was a reference to a date in a Q post, 11.11.18, was an IP address belonging to the Department of Defense Network Information Center. The implication was that the military servers were in some way involved in hosting the 8-coon channel through which the Q had once again resumed posting after 8chan was shut down due to different internet companies refusing to host it on their cloud servers, their big old drama. So that's what people were claiming, was it was an IP address for the Defense Network Information Center. Who knows? According to this, it says that many believe that Q, based on multiple posts, is a group linked to the U.S. Army intelligence working closely with the White House. At first glance, it would be logical that military intelligence is helping 8-Kun to emerge online since 8-Chan and 8-Kun was the only venue on which they post. However, it's unlikely that the U.S. military would do this in any transparent way given the legal and political implications of supporting a host board that may, in the general public, have been convinced that the mainstream media would be to a venue for radical right-wing radicals. That's horribly phrased. 
By referring to Petronov's tweet, Q was sending a clear message that the military intelligence community is in some way helping the platform establish a new internet presence, perhaps protecting it from DOS, which are denial of service attacks. This is where Q references Project Looking Glass. We know about Project Looking Glass from legendary UFO whistleblower Bob Lazar because he identified it as one of the classified projects run out of the S-4 facility at Area 51. Lazar has been reported to say when he was asked about Looking Glass, he said, yeah, that was later on. When we started getting into the heavy physics of it because gravity distorts space and time and what they're trying to do, I say look back in time and some people conjure up images of a time tunnel. They're looking at distorting time in microseconds to see whatever, whatever event they were trying to observe through the gravitational lens. So that was a different project they were dealing with, that, but that was essentially playing with gravity distorting time. The classified project called Montauk, per- publicly revealed in Preston Nichols' book in 1992, The Montauk Project, Experiments in Time, he explained that the Montauk Project that ran from 1971 to 1983 at the Montauk Air Station in Long Island, New York, involved many human subjects in bizarre military experiments. Some of these experiments involved being humans being trained to use extraterrestrial technologies such as a chair that significantly enhanced psychic abilities to do many extraordinary things like distorting or warping time to look into the past or future. He also explained what happened when the psychic Duncan Cameron sat in this Montauk chair said that um, he would start out sitting there and then the transmitter would be turned on, his mind would be blank and clear, he would then be directed to concentrate in an opening in time from, say, 1980 to 1990. At this point, a hole or time portal would appear right in the center of the Delta T antenna. You could walk through the portal from 1980 to 1990. There is an opening that you can look into. It looked like a circular corridor with a light at the other end. The time door would remain as long as Duncan would concentrate on that gap in time. There was a recent documentary called The Montauk Chronicles that describes many of the bizarre experiments and the first-hand testimonies of many people who participated. Many of them were horribly abused, and thousands of children were involuntarily pulled from the streets that were claimed to have been lost or killed after being sent through these time portals. In a 1964 television interview, George Van Tassel, who claimed to have had physical contact with human being, human-looking extraterrestrials, said they showed him technology which could be used to view a visual scene from any historical time period, and that the U.S. Navy had it in its possession. So you got the little cube. We just discovered that. Van Tassel in this uh, documentary, said that the technology was classified by the Navy and the inventor was forced to work for it. The time travel viewing technology described by Van Tassel in 1964 is very similar to what was decades later described by Lazar about his Project Looking Glass, was also run by the U.S. Navy. Jordan Slather declares in a video on YouTube called Destroying the Illusion, he suggested, the deep state has been befuddled by Q and the military intelligence community because maybe that they were using this Project Looking Glass technology against them. The earliest reference of this technology actually comes from Italy from the 1950s. A Dominican priest by the name of Father Pellegrino Inerte invented the chronovisor by electrically modifying 
the frequencies of chants by Benedictine monks, and then it could be viewed on a TV like monitor. By manipulating the frequencies, he discovered that one could look into the past. He claims to have witnessed the crucifixion of Christ and other historical events through the chanting of monks, through frequency. In the book, Father Ernetti's Chronovisor, The Creation and Disappearance of the World's First Time Machine, Peter Crossa investigates Ernetti's amazing discovery. He explains how the technology was turned over to the Vatican hierarchy, which in turn passed it to the Central Intelligence Agency. It's worth emphasizing that the then chief of the CIA counterintelligence division, James Jesus Angleton, channeled both the Vatican and the Israeli desks during his long service from 1954 to 1975. According to Andrew Basiago, Basiago, a practicing attorney, he says he was involved in Project Pegasus, as a six-year-old, he says that the chronovisor helped his help developed by the father was refined by the CIA in collaboration with the Advanced Research Projects Agency's DARPA. ARPA, now DARPA. Basiago claims that in 1970, he and other Project Pegasus child participants visited various classified facilities hosting these chronovisors. And these kids would use these and they would see all kinds of things. We'll have to get into Project Pegasus sometime because I'm sure some of you are totally lost, but whatever. Basiago's assertion of visiting a classified facility run by IT and ITT in Nutley, New Jersey, received a surprising corroboration by no less famed radio host Art Bell, who was at the time employed by ITT in a classified NATO communication project. This was information Bell had never before revealed to the public. He was shocked as Basiago revealed during a live radio interview on August 14, 2015, how he encountered Bell working on a classified project at the Nutley facility in 1970 when Basiago was only eight or nine years old. Basiago asserts that the chronovisor technology was one among many ways in which the CIA and intelligence partners could view the past and future of course, in order to gain intelligence data and also attempt to manipulate history through time travel experiments. Above Top Secret says that Project Looking Glass works with time and zero point energy. You can look forward into time where futures would split based on decisions and other things. And Project Pandora was to study this other dimensional, this other dimension that's close to ours. It fluxes like a yo-yo from a few moments to a few hours away from our dimension. That's crazy. Like, I don't even understand multidimensional physics. It's, it's bizarre. Close in proximity dimension, it kind of fluctuates from a few moments away to a few hours away from our dimension. The theory is that there are also other dimensions close to us, behind us, to the side, with the attempt to converge them. Passive listening for these other dimensions is taken place. Unknown repercussions if direct contact is made. Technology is based on the electromagnetic spectrum. Starting at CERN, it uses massive amounts of computing power. It can determine probabilistic outcomes in how it is set. Pandora looks for these small subtle changes between dimensions. When it first started, they could only see milliseconds ahead. Since things have further expanded, there are multiple sites undertaking this research with the deep state paying for it and a cheap knockoff applications in development. There is a one and a half hour interview that they interview this guy named John here to help. And this John fella started, he claims to have started this research under Project Deep Space Nine. This involved cleaning up signals of other people's work and was not highly, 
So he, maybe he was like a time cop or something because I've, I've heard of other people being like time police. He said it wasn't a highly classified top secret program at the time. He was recording radiation signals from space. It was converted it to sound and cleaned up the background noise. He found an anomaly where the background noise was. He started looking for more of these events and found them. And the immense energy source that he could not gather all at once had to collect it in pieces. The only thing classified at this time was some of the equipment that was being used. There he found a signal from the oldest parts of space. They say it's impressions from the Big Bang. The properties of this signal was so constant, no entropy covered every spectrum, and it traced back to before the Big Bang. He found the originator as a mathematical sequence that covers everything and found in everything once he knew what to look for. That made no sense. This large weak signal was intelligent and did not dissipate. This article says, and this person uses a ton of fragmented sentences and it's really hard to understand this person's, what they're trying to convey. They're saying that the 5G can transmit this type of energy which I don't really understand what they're trying to talk about, that this could be used to use your own mind against you. So we've got awesome applications for being able to look forward in time and backwards in time. But not only that, we could use it for evil and manipulate it. Now we've discovered this energy that can be manipulated using 5G technology. That's what I got from it. They go on to say that there is an Operation Sunrise used in Iran to create an Islamic superpower with this technology. That Iran did show the Pope multiple miracles, good ma- a good magic trick, and that John Brennan and John Kerry have been negotiating with Iran to bring some of this technology back. 5G was moved to China because they had no problems with experimenting on people, and Israel has banned 5G. They have taken the voice of God away from us and they're using it against us, it says. The people doing this have separated themselves so much that love is painful for them. They do not want to lose their fortunes and power, so they continue to push this manipulation. Dr. Molly McCauley died over this technology. She was a space economist. A lot of other researchers involved have been killed. John, who we're talking about, he's saying all this stuff, managed to survive because of his expertise with the technology. It can be used to control crowds, public opinion, sales trends, riots, even brain damage. Attempts to use it against the president is why John is speaking up. If we do not get on top of this before it's too late, we will be, we will be willing participants in our own destruction. This must have been when Trump was still president. Because I think they've already used it on Joe Biden. Funny. I mean, this guy talks about there's a lot of misinformation and blatant lies going around. And everybody's going to have to end up facing it one way or the other. And that our perceptions, ideas, and free will is at risk and we are all in danger (laughs) all the attached videos to this article you can go there if you want they're all gone all the videos are gone so they've probably been pulled down now operation hedgehog has a lot to say about this subject too they say that conspiracy theorists use the phrase going down a deep rabbit hole we've all heard this the reason for this he claims is It's called the Alice Code. Okay, supposedly the Project Aquarius and the Looking Glass Project are at the S4 at Area 51, like Lazar said. I think this is Dan. His name is Dan. This is what Dan says about Project Aquarius and the Looking Glass Project at the S4 Area 51 facility. He says that above the doorframe leading to the lab, there's a stuffed white rabbit holding a backward watch mounted permanently to the frame. 
that is permanently wired above the entrance to the Project Looking Glass Lab. There was a large three-foot-tall statue of a rabbit, symbolic of Alice in Wonderland, and this rabbit was described as having a clock in his hand and wearing a royal maroon vest with gold fringes and black buttons. Level 2, or 4-2, was known as Alice's floor. This specific floor contained a laboratory for weapons research and development. There were three boardrooms and provisions for emergency supplies. At the level 4-2, there were specific areas which contained components for Project Sidekick. Level 4-2 was also the location of Project Looking Glass. This device utilized six composite electromagnetic fields, a height-adjustable rotating cylinder, which is injected with a specific type of gas. This entire assembly rotates 90 degrees from the horizontal axis. This allows the scientists to warp the local fabric of space and time, both forward or backwards, by long distances or short distances relative to the present time. Project Looking Glass device was used to protect the probability of future events. Once it was tuned properly, images of the future events would be projected on open space, similar to a hologram. Data output of the device were captured via high-resolution audio-video capture devices. If multiple probabilities of the same event were displayed, they could be de-interlaced by a use of specific software platforms. Fucking mind-blowing. Next to this device were two transport pads which could teleport physical matter or humans. This is a way better description than it gave before. But I think that the technology they were describing before was really archaic. Dan, this Dan guy, had the unfortunate experience of being in the room when something bad happened. Sometimes it wasn't reliable and certain things would happen during testing. He witnessed someone die during this. Okay, and in this article, that's why I chose it because it's super fascinating and there's all these drawings. Somebody draws this diagram of area S4, level 4-2, the Alice's floor, shows the platforms in which you're teleported, shows a diagram of what it looks like to warp space and time and create a port portal wormhole, shows the looking glass device in all of its glory, gives a layout of Alice's floor, shows certain constellations and mechanism, and then even a picture of the statue of the the white bunny with the watch, the pocket watch. There's also some Egyptian pictorial drawings of the stargates that were used back then. During Dan's time at S4, five concurrent programs were also being conducted. There was Project Galileo Galileo that dealt with propulsion systems of extraterrestrial and future terrestrial vehicles. The other program was Project Sidekick that related to weapons platform, but he didn't comment any further on that. The third project was the Project Looking Glass. It dealt with the time distortion and it also dealt with the physics of seeing the effects of artificially produced gravity waves on time. The overall umbrella designation for the study of anything biological, ET biological entities, and their interactions with the humans on Earth was known as Project Aquarius. The fourth project was a separate weapons program that developed as a second generation to the Project Sidekick, and he refused to comment further on that as well. There was another program that involved the suite of biological defense operations, and Dan worked in the capacity of senior scientists. And no further information is given on that either. Quote, the looking glass device at Area S4 Level 4-2 used a barrel housed within the center hole of a donut-shaped structure. During the operation, argon gas was sprayed into the center of the rotating barrel. 
a number of powerful electromagnets encircled the barrel, and the power is fluctuated onto the magnets and the orientation of the magnets is changed. It dials into the probabilities within hyperspace, contacting wormholes to various probabilistic universes. According to Dan and Will Uhouse, a direct witness to early-looking glass in the 1970s, these scientists working on the program quickly found out the device was multifunctional. Through a variation of power settings and alignments, the device could produce images. It was soon determined that these images dealt with the future events. According to Dan, it was soon determined what events would be the causation events of the ultimate splitting of humanity into what could become. They showed that the events would be causation events for the ultimate splitting of humanity, which would, would just would become the J-Rods and Orion beings. So it actually sees our evolutionary split into becoming other species. That information was supported by the direct testimony of both the J-Rods and the Orion beings, according to their written and oral histories. There's more diagrams of the looking glass contraption. And then there was another looking glass device located on the Nevada test site range. The earlier version of that device was viewed by Will Uhouse in the 70s. So all in all, looking glass is a device, but it's just one piece in a multi-component situation in which our government had acquired some alien technology. They reverse engineered technology of our own, all the while being able to do things that they didn't share with the rest of humanity. I don't know. What do you think about this? We've talked about heart before. We've talked about MKUltra. Uh, maybe someday, and maybe next week, we'll talk about the Philadelphia experiment. All of this is rather disturbing that they have these capabilities and none of us, we're so lowly that we, we can't know about it. And that's what I hope changes because we are being deprived an evolutionary leap by these elite scumbag. Our guest spot this week goes to Aranava. She is on Instagram. She does. Uh, she has a Patreon, and she does dance classes and a little bit of burlesque. I do believe that she might be on the East Coast, but she is from Latin America somewhere, at Colombia, maybe. Um, I found her from someone else. I love dance. She is just a joy to watch. So Aranava, she's linked below, or actually her handle's below. I also want to throw in there, if you're not following Project Veritas and what James O'Keefe is doing, I highly suggest that you go over and watch because the whistleblowers, it's like dominoes. Once people start to roll and start to talk about what the fuck is going on because they see how unethical it is and how it's tearing down our country and destroying everything, we are soon, we are soon to see more of them do it. So way to go, patriots. Just keep on telling the truth. Keep on calling out injustices. And thank you to Project Veritas for, for doing the work that you're doing right now. We appreciate it. Inward Survival School of Magic is basically just going to be Stacy lecturing your ass about exercise and doing what you know you should be doing. But no, seriously, we're going to talk about functional fitness and a little bit of nutrition. These are things that we're going to need to know because you let thy food be thy medicine, right? Hippocrates. First article is functional training. It is actually a form of training with intended purpose. It's improving the quality of your movement and preventing your injuries. So this is engaging a ton of muscles. It's a series of exercises and movements in which all your muscles interact with each other simultaneously. These are compound exercises. This improves core stability, coordination, 
and is the foundation of an injury-free cardio and strength training practice. Gary Gray, founder of Functional Training, says movements that involve only one muscle are considered non-functional. Functional forms of movement systematically integrate several muscles and muscle groups at the same time. So functional training consists of body weight and compound exercises, all stuff that you can do standing where you are. And sometimes you can, you know, add household items or other fitness tools to develop inter and intra muscular coordination. So a functional training always involves several muscle groups, always includes core training, always engaging your core. It protects your spine. Involves multidimensional and multidirectional functional movements that activate all access levels in the body. Integrates the five fundamental motor skills of fitness, strength, endurance, speed, mobility, and coordination. This considers an athlete's personal situation. If you have an injury or something, you can always do these movements. Or, you know, modify the workout however you need it to be so you can build up strength to do more advanced movements. This includes working with free weights, unstable elements, small accessories, and your body weight. Now, functional training can be used as a form of rehab, and it can consist of isolated muscle strengthening enabled by machines. You know that this is for you if you want to improve the quality of your movements and minimize efforts you need to make, if you want to be able to move easy, easier every day, and you want to increase your physical performance, you want to avoid injuries, and you're looking for an ideal workout to engage your whole body. We are all limited on time, and usually these are the best workouts that you can do. I, I'm not going to be able to describe every single one of these movements. You're going to have to look them up, so maybe get your pen and paper ready. You've got your standing scale to windmill. you got your upward dog to hollow hold. These are all poses into a movement. You've got shoulder rotations and using many resistance bands. You've got your glute bridge with a medicine ball, push-ups with a medicine ball, or just regular old push-ups and planks. Farmer's carry, side plank with rotation, overhead circle. Functional fitness strengthens much more than just the muscles you can see. Your central nervous system also gets a workout. After an intensive effort, it takes up to 72 hours to fully recover but depending on the level of intensity, you'll need maybe two to three days of rest between each training session. That's not always necessarily true, but that's what they say. But you have to, at the very least, take one full day of rest per week. How often would be probably a few times a week at least. Diversify the exercises. The more muscle fibers you activate, the better your coordination becomes. So do not do the same stuff over and over again and wonder why you're not getting different results. Technique is key. I really need to take my own advice right here. <laughs> technique is key. If you have any doubts about your technique, take, get some training, ask somebody in the gym to keep an eye on you. Be willing to make adjustments because the slightest adjustment could mean all the difference in your results. Next is on functional nutrition. And I got this from a blog from Being Bridget, and I think it's very well researched. It's linked below. The first rule is to eat enough calories because when you're restricting your calories, your body's in a state of stress. Putting that on top of working out can cause hormone dysfunction. And this can inhibit recovery and hurt your metabolism as well as inhibit any kind of muscle growth you're trying to accomplish. It says to eat pegan over paleo, which I don't know what pegan is, but it says that it replaces the non-starchy vegetables at the forefront 
oh, it places non-starchy vegetables at the forefront. And so these are, you know, your, your superfoods, your greens, and um, your complex carbohydrates. And then you get meat only as a condiment. This helps increase your phytonutrient and fiber intake, which are the two key factors for gut health. Next is limit your alcohol. This causes widespread inflammation. It inhibits the body from recovering from workouts, increases the risk for many other health issues, cancer, liver disease, cardiovascular disease. And in addition to hindering your recovery, alcohol can affect your performance by dehydrating you and significantly impairing your sleep quality. Incorporate a nutrient-dense and protein-rich smoothie after a workout. So make sure you're getting that protein after you do exercise Make sure you replace your electrolytes. There's all kinds of supplements out there and things you can put into your water that can help replace electrolytes because sometimes just water won't cut it. Supplement with magnesium. This is an important one. This is shown to aid in exercise performance by increasing glucose availability in both the blood and muscles. This will provide your body with the fuel to conquer your workout. Strenuous exercise causes a redistribution of magnesium throughout the body and it can cause more to be excreted through the urine. Magnesium can help with muscle recovery by relaxing the muscles and reducing the cramping too. Boost your omega-3s. You can get those from chia seeds, flax seeds, hemp seeds, walnuts. And you also need to consume EPA and DHA in your diet two to three times a week from fatty fish, low in mercury, like you want wild caught fish. Salmon, herring, sardines are good. And some people may require additional fish oil supplements. Get that sunshine vitamin. If you have sun, get out there in it. 15 minutes of direct sunlight every day without sunscreen increases your vitamin D levels. If you can't do this, supplement 2,000 to 5,000 IUs. That could bring you to where you need to be. Most of us are vitamin D deficient, which is a huge impact on our immune system. Next and last is prioritize your rest and relaxation. Sometimes doing nothing is the best thing that you can do and listen to your body. So I know that this is a lot of stuff and you're probably like turning it off by now, not even sticking around for the stoic thought, but fuck, fuck it, whatever. This is what's important. We need to keep ourselves in tip top shape. We are all accountable to not only ourselves, but the people around us and our health is priority. So get off your asses and do some functional fitness right fucking now. Our stoic thought of the week goes to a great teacher, a great woman, Anne Sullivan. She said, Every renaissance comes to the world with a cry. The cry of the human spirit to be free. We imagine that we want to escape our selfish and commonplace existence, but we cling desperately to our chains. And... I cannot explain it, but when difficulties arise, I am not perplexed or doubtful. I know how to meet them. Everyone have a great week. Thank you for joining me. Everyone stay safe and keep doing the thing. Stay centered. <laughs>